Hello students and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today I'm teaching you all about the cutest robot in town. The originally created by Chris Claremont and John Romita Jr., the first appearance in Uncanny X-Men 191, the time-traveling Tin Man himself. We're talking about Nimrod today. Yes, we're talking about the great hunter, the king of the sentinels, the end of the mutants, and just one of my favorite characters of all time. I think he's awesome. I already loved this character in a pre-Hoxpox world. He's He's got a great design. He's got an interesting story. Um, he's a great villain. He's had a, he's had just an interesting mm, several iterants, uh, uh, instances of evolution. And just generally speaking, I love him. And then when they brought him for Hoxpox and and introduced a new version of him, I fell in love even more. I mean, I've made it clear with this show that I have niche tastes, even within the X-Men world. Um, and I mean that that I know liking X-Men is its own niche, but within it, I'm I'm tired of talking about just Wolverine and Storm. I adore them. I adore all the X-Men, but I want to talk more about everyone in the X-Men world, which is why I made this show. I want to talk about Madeline Pryor. I want to talk about Mystique's wife, Destiny. I want to talk about the real Days of Future Past story, not just that one movie that Jennifer Lawrence I clearly didn't even want to be in, I think. Um, and we, I want to talk about somebody from that story. I want to talk about Nimrod. And yes, that's your first little factoid about this great little robot. He is originally from the Days of Future Past timeline, Earth 811. Um, so we're going to go over him in uh, length today. Uh, we, I'm going to just talk about Nimrod for quite a while. I did the work. I have read every issue he was ever in um, and I'm going to tell you about the original Nimrod and every instance of him afterwards because there's been a few versions of him this is what happens when you do time traveling stuff things get a little wonky um, but he's been great throughout the whole time he's more nuanced than I think any robotic like you know sentinel villain has ever been um, and I think that's what makes him interesting to share with you on top of the fact that he is clearly a big baddie for the current run of X-Men. I mean, uh, we went over Hellfire Gala uh, 2023, and he was, you know, the big muscle that showed up with Orcus at that event. He continues to be a thorn in the X-Men side. And I realized that, you know, we can spend time in this, this show talking about stories and that can teach you guys a lot about these X-Men and the characters and what they've gone through. But I think it might be fun in some instances to just kind of do a deep dive into one of the characters. But by doing that, I'm going to share some stories, um, particularly um, the ones where Nimrod has played a big role in. Um, to clarify, I'm only going to talk about Nimrod today. I am not going to be talking about Bastion, but I will talk about where Bastion comes from so that when I say Bastion from this point on, you will know who I'm talking about because he's also an obscure X-Men villain that has not shown up in any sort of like other media that you guys would recognize him from. Nimrod has shown up in other media, to be clear. 
clear. Um, he was once a character in the, the cartoons. He was a villain there, time traveling villain. And if you remember those episodes, you remember him fighting the X-Men hunting through time. Um, he also was actually a boss in the old Konami uh, X-Men game. Um, although he looked a little odd, but that's just par for the course for that game. That game's a little odd, but I love it. Um, and he was the inspiration for the Sentinels at the beginning of the X-Men film Days of Future Past. While their design doesn't accurately reflect his look, um, the way that they adapt to the mutant powers and evolve to be able to counter um, their abilities, um, that's Nimrod. Nimrod, basically at his core, he's supposed to be a mutant hunter um, who is able to adapt to take care of any X-Men or mutant fights. Um, and uh, he's a, a hunter, and that is actually part of his namesake. He gets his name from actually a biblical character, Nimrod, the great hunter. Um, and as I said at the top of this episode, uh, he was created by Chris Claremont and John Romita Jr. Um, and uh, I think he's actually one of Chris's like great, creations and i really appreciate that he brought him um to uh the pages and john romita uh the man didn't need to go so hard with this design and how awesome it is uh but i'm so grateful he did i'm glad that like when he looked at this mutant hunting you know robot he didn't make it like a typical big old mech thing that had a bunch of you know dark wiring and and lights and everything that he's like he's like i'm gonna make this guy just almost all white with a big old pink face. <laughs> and I think that's fantastic. Um, this big old robot, he was sent back originally. Actually, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you about the origin of Nimrod, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you about the original origin of Nimrod. And then there was a bit of a retcon that sort of fits. It's fine. Um, but I want to give you the whole story on how it was developed on the pages. And so originally he appeared, um, like I said, in Uncanny X-Men 191, and he was sent back in time from Earth 811. Um, you know, uh, Earth 811 is the timeline that is Days of Future Past, which is the the timeline um that chris claremont wrote where the sentinels won basically and all the mutants are in internment camps and stuff like that and so from that timeline there's another uh nomadic uh character who is actually part of the current canon and that's uh rachel summers um She's gone by Phoenix. She's gone by Ascani. She's gone by a bunch of names. Um, but she's Rachel. Um, and uh, she is originally a time traveler as well, sent back in time. I say back in time, but it's technically actually across different, uh, mul the multiverse. Um, it's it's a little wonky when you talk about the two because timelines and the multiverse are kind of the same thing. Um, but Rachel went back to our Earth 616 and in order to uh, follow her, to hunt her, to bring her back, um, because they they saw her as a problem, um, Nimrod got sent back in time by his um, maker, or, or by the maker, which is what they refer to Forge, um, who, I don't know if he necessarily is the one who, he, I don't think he made Nimrod, but they call him, Forge has been called the maker a lot because that's basically his mutant powers that he makes things. Um, and so he, Nimrod goes, goes back to Earth 616 and kind of arrives and 
doesn't really start his story off the way you would think this this sentinel from time um, would in that he showed up and actually just saved a human from a mugging um, and it's the and he kind of befriends this man and his family and it's this family the Rodriguez family and he kind of shacks up with the Rodriguez family in like New York and it's kind of cute and he like he hangs out with the dad and the son and he's there just kind of learning about you know what this what's going on with the timeline that he's in at that time um and he kind of um his original directives were in fact eradicate all mutants but um when he turned when he came back in time he actually adjusted his directives after taking in information of what was going on earth 616 and came to the um conclusion that he didn't necessarily need to uh kill all the mutants he just needed to do his job in culling the uh problem mutants the uh not the illegal mutants but the the ones who are breaking the law and that kind of thing um and he deemed the x-men as 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 part of that uh problem um which is why he ends up fighting them multiple times um but yeah he didn't come back just to like go and like kill every mutant possible he he learns and he's updating and that's that's part of what i love about this character is that he isn't just a clearly thoughtless unthinking machine he adjusts he um evaluates and and we'll get into a few other instances where that gets even more interesting later but throughout his story he he definitely doesn't do what you expect him to do all the time Uh, namely you know his first act is he's just shacking up with this family in in like you know new york (laughs) it's fantastic well he does get into his first fight where um the juggernaut is uh on the loose um the the news is talking about the juggernaut being out and and doing that kind of thing and so um uh, the juggernaut shows up at a bank um and nimrod uh recognizes him at the bank and so nimrod uh you know attacks juggernaut but also the x-men attack juggernaut in the bank it's actually not a good look for everybody because while he is a wanted criminal um Kane, Marco, Juggernaut, he actually was just he's just at the bank. He was just doing bank things. I don't think his intention was necessarily to rob the bank. He was just there to be a citizen, I think. Um but then Nimrod and the X-Men come and they fight him and uh this is where uh the X-Men learn about the extent of Nimrod's abilities and that they can't take him down because of how he's able to adapt and how many things he has in his arsenal. He's you know, he can disintegrate things and he, he he's super powerful. Um so actually the way that this first instance of Nimrod gets defeated is a really cool um story. Uh and I'll I'll try to I'll post some screen caps of these issues in the discord because there's some uh, throughout Nimrod's history there. He, he really does catalyze a lot of amazing moments with the X-Men along with just some great artwork and the great artwork in this issue is where rogue gets an idea from Kitty that um, since clearly each of them on their own can't defeat Nimrod. What if rogue um, pulls the powers from multiple members of the X-Men all at once who are kind of like out of commission at that moment. So she's not really like, you know, obviously normally rogues powers at that time would take a teammate out of commission in the battle, but they're already down. So she just kind of takes their powers. And so she takes a mixture of Nightcrawler and Colossus and Kitty's powers, which is a great uh, collection of powers. 
and she uh, fights Nimrod and is able to, you know, with the collective strength of Rogue herself and Colossus, she's able to keep toe-to-toe with this guy. She uses Nightcrawler's powers to teleport his arm away. And basically the whole thing ends with Nimrod kind of escaping, him realizing that he's defeated, needs to get better, needs to learn more. Um, he, he does not need to be defeated that day entirely, and so he leaves. Um, and he leaves to be able to come back later on um once again he 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 goes and and actually continues his little uh his little human persona um with the the rodriguez family like he works as a construction worker he has an alter ego this 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 mutant hunting robot from the future is like i'm gonna have an alter ego and i'm gonna help build a mcdonald's in manhattan and i i i that's genius that's just so silly and no one would think to write that with it. But I think you got to get out of the box with these things. And Claremont's pretty good at that. Um, Nimrod does fight the X-Men and Hellfire Club again um, a little bit later on. This is in the wake of Rachel uh, deciding that uh, she can't let Celine, who is this vampiric eternal mutant that is part of the Hellfire Club, she can't let her live anymore because Celine, literally her existence is based on killing people through vampirism. And so Rachel goes and tries to assassinate uh, Celine Wolverine Wolverine of all people um, stops her uh, because apparently at that moment Wolverine's like violence is not the way to solve things um, sure Logan whatever um, and so Rachel's on the run because Wolverine had to stab her to stop her um, the Hellfire Club is looking for their assassin the X-Men are looking for Rachel and they actually all come across Nimrod, who then fights the X-Men and Hellfire Club together, um, and it actually forces the Hellfire Club and the X-Men to kind of join forces to defeat him, um, because like Nimrod, again, just wipes the floor with anybody who fights him. Um, another reason why I just love this character, because he's he's not just like overpowered, he, he is... Uh, he's uniquely powered in order to combat um the you know the the foray of all these the, the cadre of all these mutant powers that one would have to fight against in order to you know stand up against the x-men and another team of mutants like the hellfire club all at once i mean he sends sebastian shaw like he evaluates that like okay shaw's power is that he absorbs any kinetic attack or hit against him and turns it into more power and he goes okay i can solve that and he just sends shaw into the stratosphere (laughs) it's like well if he doesn't hit anything ever he can't win so bye um and he even like changes uh colossus's um density no 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 sorry i forgot Uh, the hellfire club actually sends colossus into the ground by changing his density um and so the x-men have to team up and kind of they kind of come around to the same conclusion on how to defeat nimrod in that the only way to defeat nimrod is to overwhelm him with a combination of powers it seems that nimrod's um at his strongest when he is going one-on-one versus um, mutants or mutants are only using their powers all by themselves. There's no um, combination, no circuit of mutant powers that's going against them. Otherwise it gets a little bit harder for him apparently to uh, juggle too many of these um, uh, combatants. Um, Anyways, long story short in that they, they do again are able to defeat him by combining powers and, um, but they actually do some uh, some casualties occur mostly on the hellfire club side um 
but they once again are able to uh, defeat Nimrod and um, and and send him um, packing. Um, and so he once again retreats and retreats not only from the battle, but back into his human persona. We also learn later on in the next instance where he um, has a encounter with the X-Men later on in Uncanny X-Men um, that he has a little human name as well. His name is Nicholas Hunter, which is great because his name is Nimrod. And so Nicholas is a little bit of a nod to that. And then Hunter being that Nimrod is the great hunter. Um, it's it's cute. I love that this, I don't think there's been any other Sentinels that have a, have a uh, alter ego an alias and that's adorable so he is um actually minding his own business actually not even just minding his business um he's actually doing some good in this story where he like breaks up like a drug ring he disintegrates some drug dealers and then collects all of their money and then just like evaluates that like the best use of this would be to distribute it to the community he's like a hero um and he's not even actively hunting mutants in this story in fact we haven't ever seen him actively just going around and like assassinating or decimating mutants he really only shows up in these places where the mutants are actually causing problems i'm not trying to be a nimrod apologetic um but I just want to point out, uh, mostly with this episode, what I'm trying to highlight among many things is that he is a multi-dimensional villain, and that's what I think any good X-Men villain has to be. They can't just be I'm evil and I hate you. Um, it's boring. That's boring. Um, that's Red Skull. It's like, yes, that makes sense that Captain America should have this overpowered Nazi, uh, you know, supervillain against him, but he's boring. The X-Men villains, the best ones at the very least, are not boring. They are, they have personality, they have character, they have weird, uh, uh, you know, reasons why they're doing stuff, justifications and motivations. Um, and Nimrod is just like that. And so he actually is minding his own business, again, working a construction job, just being a good old blue-collar worker. Is construction blue-collar? I don't know. That's a good question. I should Google that before I say things like that. Anyways, he's a construction worker working on a building in New York. And he actually he accidentally comes across like the like the it's almost like the kids at the beginning of jumanji the original with ron williams not whatever weird one they did with the rock and kevin hart later on um he comes across the remains of a uh, master mold which is a former villain of the x-men that was basically this giant robot that just makes sentinels it's like a mommy sentinel um and so he he comes across a the remnants of a master mold in these kind of like construction ruins, I guess. And the master mold um, merges with him and kind of overtakes Nimrod um, and uh, kind of starts constructing itself into something big again, like a master mold, this giant sentinel. And so um, the X-Men actually, you know, again, they end up fighting this master mold Nimrod hybrid, um, and they defeat it in a very unique way. Um, th- uh, this is the time where they actually don't defeat it by overwhelming it by um, you know a combination of powers or just overwhelming force. But what it turns out is that Nimrod actually works from inside the master mold hybrid and uh, convinces it that it should shut down and even convinces it further to realize that it itself is a mutant with what it has become and therefore convinces the master mold part of itself to, uh, enter a self-destruct sequence. Um, 
And while it is counting down its self-destruct sequence, se sequence um, the X-Men managed to open up the Siege Perilous, um, which if you don't remember what the Siege Perilous um, is, or, or if you haven't listened to the episode, we went over it in the episode where I had uh, Joel Rubin and we talked about that um, the, the story, The Fall of the Mutants, where um, they use the Siege Perilous to, um, after they have defeated the the evil god they're fighting it's this it's this magical device that anybody who passes through it is transformed um into kind of like i think it's like kind of like what they need to be or what they should be or an evolved form of them it is a changer the siege perilous is this magical transformative thing that you it's a gateway that you pass through and you're you're changed forever and so this master mold nimrod hybrid is uh, going counting down its uh, self-destruct sequence and it saves everybody by sending itself through the siege perilous um, now this is where we end our story with this version of nimrod um, because that version of nimrod as it passes through the siege perilous we find way down the line in the x-men history um, far from when this uh, issue originally uh, uh, ran that this is where bastion comes from the siege perilous transforms this master mold nimrod hybrid into a humanoid looking like synthoid that um, doesn't remember where it came from, doesn't remember what its original intent was. And that's the beginning of Bastion's story. And Bastion later becomes another great villain for the X-Men and is a big part of Hope Summers and um, the Messiah Complex storyline, which I would love to go over at some point. Messiah Complex was the... It, it was the end of the Decimation story where at House of M, Scarlet Witch says no more mutants only 198 mutants are left and then there's no mutants for forever and ever and ever and then messiah complex is the return of a new of new mutants um and bastion is the big villain of that um so that master mold mix-up that happens with the original nimrod um but there is a return uh, nimrod returns and i'm gonna do air quotes over return because this is where his timeline gets a little wonky, but we'll get to that in a second. First, you just kind of learn about, you have to learn about this story that happened in New X-Men where, um, oh no, actually, God, I forgot. This is, there's another version of Nimrod. This is the this is the first return of Nimrod and it's actually an X-Force story with Cable and Domino and all of them. And so at a offshoot of Project Wide Awake, which if you remember, Project Wide Awake was the answer to basically Magneto going full terrorist and the humans going, well, we need to um, initiate some government project that will finally solve the mutant problem. And that's basically Sentinels. It's always Sentinels. Um, but there's this offshoot of Project Wide Awake that um, gets its hands on some sort of... Um, advanced ai that they shouldn't have yet and it alarms forge and it alarms cable and so cable um s sends himself and the x-force in to retrieve this and kind of shut down this offshoot of project project right awake i'm having a hard time saying wide awake project 
wide awake. Can you say that for me really quick and tell me if I'm being crazy? That's hard to say. Project, I think it's the T and the wide awake. Um, anyways, that's a fun little tangent. Uh, when Cable and X-Force arrive at this site, their arrival actually activates this sleeper virus that the original Nimrod planted in a Sentinel program so that one day if a Sentinel program were to advance far enough that it would be able to replicate itself, build itself again, this is like a backup. It was like a redundancy and Cable's arrival triggered that. And so this new Nimrod uh, appears and it's actually the most different in um, design than any others that we've seen. Although the Master Mold and Nimrod hybrid looked very different. It was like this big Sentinel looking thing. But this Nimrod appears, he's big, he's red, um, he's much more smoother in his like in his lines and his kind of uh, curves um and he ends up fighting the x-force team and um startling the humans that were there because they're like this should not be here he should not be activated what is this because he's doing it all on its own um the way they're able to defeat this new nimrod that is full of like a bunch of weaponry and is kicking their butts is that siren uses her supersonic um screams to like hit a sort of frequency that shuts it down for long enough for cable to use the techno organic part of his body that his his big old robot arm we haven't talked about cable in in too much length in this show yet and i really should do a better job of that but cable's arm is actually a like living techno organic um kind of creature um virus it's a virus um but he's able to have some control over and so he uses that that um, arm in order to interface with the Nimrod and then he uses his own mutant telepathy to integrate the human scientists who were responsible for this also into this Nimrod and they have like a conversation um, and they defeat this Nimrod by talking through the logic of his directive. He appears, his directive is he needs to um, destroy all mutants in the most simplistic terms. And so Cable goes like, okay, you need to destroy all mutants to do what? And he's like, I destroy all mutants in order to save humans. He's like, okay, can you calculate how many human casualties would happen if you were to achieve um, your goal of destroying all mutants with the information you have? And so this Nimrod, you know, does a bunch of math and it realizes it's going to be killing like hundreds of thousands of humans through collateral damage, through mistakes, through just any, any reason why. And it decides, okay, I can't actually do my directive. I'm going to shut myself down. Again, this the Nimrod character, it's a learner. It's got it's beyond just logic. It has thoughts and 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 almost feelings um and will make the right choice, not just like cold hard calculated choice. And so it shuts itself down and at the end of this story basically they the humans and the mutants like humans and cable they split the nimrod up they give the the mutants the nimrod like neural net or something um, in order for them to learn how to defeat nimrod in the future for it ever to occur again um, and then the humans are given the weaponry of nimrod in order to be able to defend themselves because they agree that mutants should be able to defend themselves from um you know uh out of control sentinel projects and humans should be able to protect themselves from out of control mutants it's kind of a good moral of the story at the end of it and it would have been extra helpful if this plot line had ever come back where whenever bastion or nimrod appeared again then the mutants are like aha we have the technology in order to defeat him 
this happens a lot with these stories and comics because there's so many comics that have been going on for so long that a lot of these plot lines get left behind. Um, but I still think it's an interesting part of Nimrod's history worth telling. Okay, here's where we get to. We're going to cover two more things about Nimrod. One, we're going to cover um, the new origin of Nimrod, the retcon of Nimrod. And then we're going to briefly touch on um, the history of the current Nimrod in our Hoxpox Krakoan era. Um, okay, so if you recall, the original Nimrod, all we know is that he was from the um, from the uh, Days of Future Past timeline. He came to Earth 616 in order to... Uh, find Rachel Summers. Um, fast forward into new X-Men um, around like, I can't remember where it was, like 2007, something like that. This is the 2000s. I should really write down better notes in order to give you guys better um, uh, comic issues. Maybe that's what I could do on the Patreon is once I post these um, these episodes um, to be able to kind of give you guys some um, biography of where what what i read and where these are and that kind of thing i that might be kind of fun so yeah if you want to go to the patreon and look for that this i might be able to post some of that after i do this um hold me to it if i don't do it um tell me it's like hey john you promised you would tell us what issues these were so i can read them and see the cute nimrod um because i have to i have to remind you he's a very cute robot i think this robot is adorable i think he's uh, adorable looking i think he's adorable sounding i just love his characterization and i'm so uh i'm having such a fun time talking about him okay so new x-men we find out that um a bunch of humans uh that are part of this like almost like neo-nazi anti-mutant group called the purifiers they have stumbled upon their leader william Stryker, who you might remember from x-men 2 the film um played by is that brian cox I think it was. Um, anyways, dad from, um, from uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, the HBO Max um, super rich people show. Um, anyways, God, I'm really good at remembering stuff. I, I, you got to understand, all of my memory goes towards just useless X-Men knowledge. Um, and so uh, I can't remember even TV show names that I love and adore in the moment because my brain just goes, no, no, you need to remember what Forge's um, name is instead. Um, and so uh, anyways, they have found a Nimrod. We don't know where this Nimrod came from. We don't know what Nimrod is, but it appeared to them and they basically, it appeared to them, but then it kind of appeared to them and went offline. And so they've been utilizing its databanks in order to seem like they have precognitive abilities. This Nimrod had a history of people that had been killed by, you know, a history of just the world and a history of people that had been killed by mutants and a history of the mutants themselves. And so they were using this history in order to save people and then add them to their numbers for this like um evil church that they were growing um i'm gonna just give you the story as it was like not not how it actually um chronologically happened but what they you you come to the conclusion of at the end of the story so what this new story is saying is that what actually happened with the original nimrod is that he asked the forge of days of future past to send him after rachel but that forge um messes with the time traveling device he gives him and sidesteps him to earth 61029 well this nimrod the nimrod is in this new world and so he's like well i'm not in the correct one where rachel summers is i need to get to the one where rachel summers is because i need to bring her to justice so then he goes and finds the maker of that reality forge of that reality he finds that forge is actually married to storm 
um, which is not far off from a possibility considering Forge and Storm have been an item before. And this Forge and Storm family has actually kids. And so this Nimrod kills Storm and threatens to kill Forge's daughter, I think whose name is Aurora, um, and forces that Forge to give to fix him and send him to the proper timeline. So Forge, this Forge, once again, um, sabotages him again it seems to be a pattern with the forges in nimrod and he this is why he arrives in earth 616 in front of the uh leader william striker but he goes offline and so then william striker finds him he uses knowledge to start the purifiers he's you know william striker thinks that mutants are from satan and so that's why there's this whole religious kind of element to the whole thing he uses like nimrod's database like i said to uh you know use m day and all of the mutants being um gone as an excuse to like finish the job of ridding the world of these demonic entities aka mutants but what happens is nimrod eventually awakens in his like disheveled and broken state like striker has already like taken his arm off and is using it as like a blaster and that kind of thing they they've used his pieces and bits for stuff but he he comes online and he actually um, manipulates the situation to um, like get an opportunity in order to free himself. And he once again, this, this is where it's great about Nimrod is that he never learns his lesson. First time he's, he's sabotage. It's by forge. Second time he's sabotage. It's by forge. Can you take a guess as to who he goes to find to fix him again? That's right. He goes and finds forge again. <laughs> he finds forge and he's like forcing him to fix him. And so forge, once again tricks nimrod which is so great um what is it what's the saying fool me once shame on me fool me twice no fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me what's fool me three times am i is it just fool me three times and i i deserve it i deserve it uh it's my bad so forge tricks him again into instead of him fixing his body he's like hey i've got this new body that i was making why don't you just get into that body and this nimrod's like sure why not what could happen um he gets into that body and forge like uses these backdoor protocols in order to take control of the body because he's like i'm in charge now look at me look look at me i'm the captain now um but actually what happens is the x-men show up and they're like, ah, an evil giant robot, fight it. And so they fight the robot that Nimrod is inside of, but Forge is in control of. And But they overload it so that now Nimrod's in control again. And now they're fighting an advanced robot when they could have just had, you know, tea and taken a break. So they're fighting this Nimrod. And they eventually come to the conclusion that they could send it away if they were able to overload its like time traveling device. And so they do what anybody does in order to defeat a Nimrod. And they overwhelm it with like a mixture of their powers. Um, they're able to like open up its chest in order to expose the device they need to overwhelm. And then Surge, who if you remember from the episode with BK where we learned about the new X-Men, she's this... Uh, super speed electric based mutant um and so she goes and overloads the time traveling part of his device um and sends him lost in time and this is where they've retconned where that issue actually ends with him being lost in time getting kind of reset having to you know readjust himself and and then he appears in earth 616 in uncanny x-men 191 and so they tried to make him a loop kind of a time paradox it sort of fits 
it sort of doesn't it's clunky every time you do time travel stuff but i applaud them for trying to make an attempt at adding to the lore of these characters um and it's still a fun story this this um they never explain why this Nimrod in this new X-Men story looks a little different from uh, the original Nimrod, except that maybe that's what the original Nimrod looked like, is that he was a little bit more round and puffy and Kirby-like. And then as he gets sent back in time, he adjusts himself and has the look he has in the original Days of Future Past look. Um, and so that's the story of Nimrod from Earth-811, uh, who is a time paradox and uh, just an interesting character. So interesting that Jonathan Hickman, when he re- soft rebooted X-Men with Hox Pox, he introduced the first Nimrod who actually originates from Earth 616. This first one we meet is called Nimrod the Lesser, and he is part of Powers of Ten, which is the Pox of Hox Pox. Um, and he is he appears in the 100th year. It's like if you remember how they structure Powers of Ten, that um, storyline, it was uh, X0, X1, X2, and X3. X0 being the past, X1 being um, the beginning of uh, the Krakoan era, um, and then X... It was like it was like ten years after the past, and then X two is a hundred years after um, Moira's arrival in this timeline, and X three is uh, one thousand years in the future. So it's like past, present, future, super future. That's the easiest way to put it. And so Nimrod the Lesser is in future time, um, and he is um, basically the eventuality that Moira is trying to avoid with the entire story of Hawks Pox with her with her tenth life. Um, and so, uh, this Nimrod, the lesser is genius. His design is fantastic. He's big. He's much over more oversized. He has some humor to him. I haven't seen anything substantiate this claim that I have, but if you read powers of 10 and you read how they write dialogue for Nimrod, the lesser, I feel like they watched age of Ultron and for all of its mistakes and all of its, uh, clunkiness and, and, uh, fallacies. I think one thing we can all agree that was great that came out of Age of Ultron was James Spader's portrayal of Ultron. He did not play a normal death to all people robots. He played James Spader, <laughs> and it was glorious. I'm a huge fan of his of his uh, performance as Ultron. It's not what I expected. It took me aback. I remember the first time I watching it, but I adore it. It's my favorite part of the movie, um, and. This Nimrod is very much like that, to the point now where I'm like, if they ever bring this Nimrod into the MCU, could we could we have a James Spader again? Could we just have him again? Like, I think that's okay. Just do it. Just have James Spader play Nimrod the Lesser. So Nimrod the Lesser, um, he is the one who's in charge of this post-mutant world where it's him and the Omega Sentinel um, they're kind of in charge and there's only like a few mutants left. There's like only like 10,000 mutants in total, like 2000 are off on like this Shi'ar like, uh, camp. And then like 8,000 are on the Shi'ar th- uh, throne world. Um, and which I think is called Chandelar. Um, and, uh, is the, was the TV show I was trying to think of, is that Ascension? Maybe that's what it was. Um, anyways, um, Sorry, ADHD brain. Um, so 
what was I even talking about before I said that? Um, anyways, this uh, Nimrod the Lesser, he is uh, in charge of this post-mutant world. And um, he is, uh, again, the thing that Moira realizes they need to avoid. And in fact, that's what the moral of this timeline, which is, we find out later, it's Moira's sixth life. When you read Powers of Ten and you're reading the X2 part of the story, that's Moira's sixth life. And so they use the heist in that story in order to get the exact details of when Nimrod comes online um, because they've deemed that is the beginning of the end of the mutant um, solution or the mutant like paradise that they're working towards. And so that's the how Six Life ends where Moira um, gets uh, killed and sent back. Um, actually, wait, is that the ninth life? I think that might be the ninth life. That's the ninth life. Um, that's right. Sorry. It's really hard to keep all the Moira timelines in line. Um, there's 10 of them and there's a lot going on. That's the ninth life. Um, in the ninth life, it ends with Moira finally getting the exact details of when Nimrod comes online, which is why it is a huge plot point for the X-Men story after Hoxpox, where they're like, we have to get Orcus offline. We have to defeat Orcus before Nimrod comes online because he is an eventuality we have to try to avoid at all costs. Now, the sixth life is um, what is happening in X3. A sixth life of Moira um, is what's happening in X3. And if you don't know what I'm talking about when I'm saying the sixth or ninth life of Moira, then you haven't listened to the first episode of this show. And I encourage you to go listen to the first episode where we cover House of X, Powers of Ten, what I colloquially refer to as Hawkspox. So in the the sixth life of Moira, that's when we're so far in the future that we learn that the post-humanity goal is not just the defeat of mutants. It's not even the defeat of um, humans, it's in this post-human world where they are trying to achieve ascension, which is basically a way in order to be assimilated into such an advanced hive mind that you surpass time and space. You become a machine god, um, essentially. And so the humans are trying to achieve that. And so once um, Wolverine and Moira, who are the last mutants on the planet, learn, or the only, one of the only mutants left on the planet, learn of this. This is why they reset Moira's sixth life. And she realizes that with her next subsequent lives, her goal has to be um, stopping the human, the post human world from getting to ascension. Because they basically, in order to get to ascension, um, they're going to destroy the entire earth. Um, so everyone loses except for those who ascend. Um, but in this story, that's where we meet Nimrod the Greater. Um, Nimrod the Greater is a much different design where Nimrod the Lesser, uh, ironically, is very big and very round and uh, very ornate and white and pink and everything like that. Nimrod the Greater is kind of just this little hovering, uh, kind of like the little guy, uh, like just a little hovering robot. Um and he's kind of like the little thing in Destiny. I can't remember what it's called. Your little helper friend that was originally voiced by Peter Dinklage, but then was voiced by someone else. Um, and he's kind of like that little thing. And he's just this library of all mutant information. He is now just a, a, a hovering piece of information. Um, he's not as fun as the other ones. He's like he's he's the one who's learned from all his mistakes, and now he's just here in a post-human and post-mutant world as a history of the mutants. Um, but that's who Nimrod the Greater is. Um, the final Nimrod we meet 
before I wrap up this episode is Nimrod the the hunter, Nimrod of Orcus. Um, and he is the one that when the X-Men try to infiltrate um, the Orcus base that kind of hovers around the sun and they're trying to defeat it so this mother mole doesn't come online, um, the, this, the doctor who's um, in charge of it all, him and his wife, Dr. Erasmus, he gets killed in that fight. And so his wife tries to save him by putting a kind of a digital capture of his memories into a robot body which which mirrors what the x-men are doing with their resurrection protocols doctor the the his wife does it in a technological means where she takes a technological print of his memories and puts him into a robot whereas professor x um, takes a telepathic telepathic imprint of people's of the mutants memories and puts them in these these eggs they grow on krakoa it's it's cute it's it's mirroring um but what happens is that the first act of this uh nimrod which is dr erasmus's uh brain in he um sacrifices himself in order to divert the explosion of this black hole bomb that mystique had brought on board and was hiding as a an agent of orcus and he duplicates himself to send one version of himself chasing after uh mystique um and uh one version of himself to kind of uh get the bomb off the ship well the problem is that the version of himself that he sends off the ship with the bomb is the part that has erasmus's mind in him um and so what happens is that that version of Nimrod gets decimated by the bomb and what's left is a Nimrod unit that no longer has humanity in it because this that 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 one had like humanity in its brain and now this is how we've gotten Nimrod the hunter who is has no humanity in him and is the big baddie of the X-Men world um and that's who we see uh, later on in all those X-Men comics that follow after Hawkspox and most importantly in the Hellfire Gala of 2023. I always get the en- at the end of these episodes and I see that I've been talking for as long as I have and I know I try to come across as knowledgeable and um, smart, but I can't help but look at all of my sound wave and go, I wonder how many mistakes I made just talking nonstop for 45 minutes in this episode. Um, if I did make mistakes, I apologize, but I was trying to just give you a general uh, synopsis of one of my favorite characters um, of all time from X-Men and one of my favorite villains, um, Nimrod. And I will be posting the issues that I read for Nimrod so you can read those as well. Um, I'll probably post some of my favorite imagery in the Discord as well because it's fun to put things up there and show people like just the great design of Nimrod and some great moments in the comics that involve Nimrod Um, because I think that's part of the joy of reading comics is getting to share these great panels with each other. Um, And so, yeah, I encourage if you like to do that as well or you need a community to just talk comics with um the discord for class of x is available um for everybody who's a patreon um or a patron on patreon um and with that in mind if you aren't a patron i would encourage you to go and and sign up and um support the show um i love doing this this is really fun to kind of have an outlet to continue to talk about x-men and tell you guys about these obscure characters that maybe someday we'll be so lucky to see in you know x-men 97 or even better in the x-men mcu iteration whenever that comes i'm sure in the year of 2030 um the way that the sag aftra uh negotiations are going um 
<laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for joining me. If you have ideas for another episode, or another character, or another story you want me to do a deep dive on or explanation of, please let me know in the comments. I'd be happy to take suggestions um, and go from there. Have a good time. Be good, be kind, be brave. I will see you guys next time. Bye.